A delightful good morning to each one, and what a blessing it is to be able to come together on this first day of the week to appreciate the privilege it's ours of offering our worship unto the God who made us and to the God whom we so much with excitement desire to serve. You may notice that among the songs we've sung today, Brother Cale has led us in songs about praising the Lord, songs about reminding us about the nature of our wonderful service to Him. It is with that in mind. In some ways, I would invite you to consider with me, at least for a few moments this morning, on this first Sunday of the year 2023, about the birth of the Lord. If you wish to think of a bit of an oddity for just a moment, we each are well aware already that January 1 this year happened to fall on Sunday. That won't happen again for 11 years. You may wonder what may transpire in the next 11 years, but at any rate, you and I can at least take the courage of this year. We get to start the year by the first day of the week falling on January the 1st. I would hope during this current calendar year that we can use the first Sunday of each month with a particular lesson directed to one of the elements, the major elements of the life of our Lord. You can already think, no doubt, about what some of them may be. Today, what about His birth? Take back in your mind to the circumstances and scenes surrounding the birth of our Lord, and let us try for a moment to recognize the fulfillment of prophecy, the remarkable and miraculous way in which it occurred, and the marvelous way in which it is able, of course, to encourage us in the fulfillment of God's plan. On that slide before you, you may note this. It's fair to say the birth of a child is a marvelous and a wonderful occasion. Joy happiness, excitement, and thrill. As you give thought to that, no doubt, there was much connected to that with the birth of the Lord as well. But we all know many things were different. It is for that reason you know about the third point on that slide. When you and I move back to the time of 4 or maybe 5 B.C., there was a baby boy born to a couple in the Middle Eastern part of the world. That little boy came to transform the entirety of the way the world views so many things. Transforming what it was like to be one with God. Transforming what it was like to be at peace with God. Today we're just going to study for a few moments about the birth of that little baby. As we do that, we will be reminded again and again of the depth of God's love for us in sending Him. For that reason, as we go to the next slide, why don't we start with a few events prior to His birth. Let's be very brief about these, for we could dip far back into the Old Testament and look at a number of prophecies connected to that event, but rather than doing it that way, why don't we simply start like this. There was a man named Joseph about 2,000 years ago who was living in the city of Nazareth. Now, as Joseph lived there, you and I will recall, Nazareth wasn't known as this metropolis area. It wasn't known as anywhere special. In fact, it had a reputation of being a little bit unseedy un un or unworthy. In Luke 2, verse number 4, we encounter this man named Joseph, and you and I realize what a role he was to play. But one of the next things we notice, he was a carpenter by trade. The Word of God reveals to us that in addition to that, he was a direct descendant of David. 
David had lived about a thousand years earlier, and this man could trace his lineage directly back to David. That, of course, was something special. One last thing. He was also a direct descendant of Abraham. Now, that goes back 2,000 years from the time Joseph lived. Aren't you and I impressed with the meticulousness of their records? This man could trace his lineage all the way back to both David as well as to Abraham. Keeping that in mind, why don't we do this? Transition to a woman named Mary. The Word of God reveals some things about her as well. She too is living in the, in the Nazareth area. But you quickly observe this with me. In Luke 1 verse 26, she was innocent. She was pure. She had never been with a man. In that light, you and I begin to appreciate something amazing. She too was descended from David. She too could trace her lineage, her ancestry, all the way back to David. At this point, notice both Joseph and Mary were the direct descendants of that one of whom we read so much in the Old Testament. That man who, at times, was a man after God's own heart. No wonder in that connection... We close that slide like this. Though we do not know what their ages were, we do know that Joseph and Mary were engaged to be married. The King James uses the word betrothed. Now, they hadn't come to live together yet, but the marriage in many ways had been decided upon and it was going to be a reality rather soon. And in that day and time, they were already regarded as being married. In that betrothal, you begin to appreciate that something remarkable was about to transpire. As the next slide will reveal, an angel appeared. And in particular, let's note it in this order. To Mary, the angel Gabriel appeared and revealed to her some amazing news. In many ways, it would almost seem the word amazing does not do justice to what this angel revealed to her. In fact, in Luke chapter 1, verses 28 to 35, there are several pieces of information shared. I would invite you to note with me what the angel told to her. And if you would, imagine being in her position. What would it have been like to have an angel tell this to you? And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that are highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great." and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Breathtaking, isn't it? Absolutely stunning. You'll notice on the slide I've summarized a few of the things. She was told, you are highly favored. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have God's angel tell you that? You are highly favored. But that was just the beginning. It was initially, and rather quickly, in continuation, told to her about this. She was going to conceive. 
Now, you may hold that thought in mind as you look at verse 34. Mary quickly replied to the angel, How can this be, seeing I know not a man? She'd never been with a man. And yet the angel had told her she was going to conceive. No wonder she asked, How can this be? On that slide, the next thought is this. Not only would she conceive, the name of the baby was told to her. You're going to call him Jesus. He will be the son of the highest. He will sit on the throne of David, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. It wouldn't have been surprising, it would seem to me, if she'd fainted in absolute amazement at what was told to her. There's no record of her doing that. There is an appreciation, though, as this chapter rolls onward, about her understanding of the amazing position she was in. Let's go on on that slide and note this. The announcement that had just been made to Mary was an announcement that had been looked forward to for centuries. Ever since Genesis 3.15, the family of the Hebrews had looked forward to this. 4,000 years had passed. And now a young woman named Mary had heard these words. Amazing. Stupendous. Remarkable indeed. As you look to the next, the next matter on the slide, now we appreciate this. So the Holy Spirit came upon her and she became pregnant. How did Joseph react? Not surprisingly, there were some thoughts that crossed the mind of Joseph. I would invite you to notice as I've summarized it on the slide, once Joseph came to appreciate that she, had been pre that she was pregnant, he had a decision to make. He had an, an approach to take. In fact, if you'd like to notice on the slide, he clearly had misgivings about her. Had she been faithful to him? Had she stepped out on him? It certainly appeared to be so, wasn't it? In fact, one last thing might be this. Turn back to Matthew chapter 1. We also find that some information was shared with Joseph. Beginning in verse number 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When, as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. For that reason, on the slide, I summarize these things. The text says Joseph was a just man. He was upright, honest, and sincere in his dealings with others. But beyond that, you notice he didn't want to drag Mary through things worse than what otherwise had to be the case. The text says he didn't want to make her a public example. Isn't it interesting then that we might say this? He made the choice, the decision. I'll just put her away privately. Now notice, they were married, but they hadn't come together yet. And Joseph, in light of what now was the case, determined to simply put her away. However, an angel had something to share with him. Let's continue reading in verse number 20. But while he thought on these things... Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. An angel came to Joseph. 
Don't you be alarmed or concerned, he said, about taking Mary as your wife, for what's conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She hadn't been with another man. She hasn't, in fact, in any way affronted what you and she had arranged. The Holy Spirit is the source of this. We might pause to note this. Didn't it take a fair amount of faith both in Mary and in Joseph to accept what the word of the angels had been? At this point, you and I notice Joseph followed the wording of the angel. He did take Mary to be his wife. At that point, that slide closes like this. You and I notice that today things are a bit different. Back then, it was looked upon as a bit disgraceful for a woman to be pregnant while she was unmarried. Today, no, that happens a lot, doesn't it? Rather sad that the disposition of the world has reached the point that it is. Beyond that, why don't we note this? As you and I continue to contemplate those events prior to the Lord's birth, we notice this angel comforted Joseph, assuring him of Mary's fidelity, assuring him of Mary's faithfulness. And so at this point, Mary became pregnant, as you and I know, and that child in her was conceived of God. The scene that you and I now see before us is this. Joseph was also told something about his name. Allow me to go back to Matthew chapter 1, and this time, let's read verse 21 and following. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And in that way, we learn something about what the word Jesus means. It means Savior. He will save his people from their sins. He isn't coming to deliver them militarily. He isn't coming to deliver them in other ways, but He is coming to deliver them from their sins. At that point, these angels have brought these amazing messages both to Mary and to Joseph. And now you and I appreciate that this birth was to be a miraculous one. It wasn't biological in the ordinary scheme of things because Mary had never been with a man. You'll notice as Matthew chapter 1 closes, that thought is emphasized this way. Verse number 24 reads, Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. A miraculous birth to be sure. The wonderment of that moment, the amazing feature of it, allows us to note that was a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Isn't it true that in Isaiah seven fourteen it had been foretold 800 years earlier that a woman, a virgin, was going to conceive and bring forth a son, and it was now happening. In fact, Matthew quotes that passage in Isaiah 7 and applies it to Mary. You and I know that there are those today who try to remove from this the amazing, miraculous character. They assert Mary was nothing but a young girl. That's not right. The text calls her a virgin. At that point, isn't it sweet to consider this? Jesus was the son of Mary. He was not actually the son of Joseph. Joseph was his stepfather in many ways. He was the son of God. Today, as you and I reflect upon the Master, Jesus the Christ, we're able to close that slide and note this. So many verses challenge us with the beauty of what was now about to take place. 
He was the seed of woman. He was the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. We read in Galatians 4 verse 4 that the right time had come, the fullness of time, so that the Son of God was now entering into the world. What about the events at the time of His birth? We've now learned about His conception. We've learned about some of the attributes connected to the marvel of that event, but now what about this one? As you turn the page into Luke chapter 2, you begin to notice the coming together of a number of events. It reads as follows, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. That word taxed, as it appears in the King James translation, is literally the word enrolled. That means a census was being taken. You and I are aware of censuses. In fact, our Constitution mandates that a census be taken every 10 years in this country. The next one will be around 2030. Think of it this way. The ancient Roman Empire also had various censuses. How were they taken then? Today, you and I have a piece of information that arrives in the mail. We fill it out. We send it back in. They didn't do a census that way. The way in which it worked is you went back to the hometown to which your family was connected. Joseph, being of the seed of David, had to go back to the city of David, which was Bethlehem. And so it was that Joseph, at the right time of that year, needed to make a journey to the city of Bethlehem, wherein the census could in fact be enrolled. And thus, verse number 2 and following reads like this, And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth unto Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord." Let's pause at that point and continue on that slide like this. You and I notice then that there was a journey in order from Nazareth to Bethlehem so that the enrollment could in fact take place. On that slide, I invited you to notice that as that journey took place, Joseph and Mary went along with him, but they came to this city of Bethlehem. She was pregnant. In fact, we've now you know, seen roughly nine months pass from the time of that conception. And now, would you ponder the following? The Old Testament had said something about the city in which the Savior would be born, but Joseph was of Nazareth. If Micah 5 verse 2 were to be fulfilled, Jesus couldn't be born in Nazareth. It had to be Bethlehem. What was the mechanism by which Joseph 
and Mary were to make their way to Bethlehem, you and I notice it was a taxation. It was an enrollment. It was a census. Aren't you amazed at history written again before its time? How did Micah know that the Lord would be delivered in Bethlehem? God told him so. And yet God orchestrated the affairs. Joseph was not of Bethlehem. Apparently long ago, Joseph and other members of the family had moved away from Bethlehem and were now living in Nazareth. As you go back to that slide with me, you might appreciate several things that you and I might well observe. And we might start like this. Aren't you impressed with how different the biblical record is compared to some of what we often see as the, quote, Christmas story is told? Maybe the first one is this. Did you notice? There's not a single mention that Mary was riding a donkey. Not one. And yet every scene you and I notice, apparently Mary's riding on a donkey, but that isn't in the Bible. May I ask all of us to take note that mankind has taken some liberties with the so-called Christmas story, haven't they? That's only one of them. You and I might note this. What did it say in verses 6, 7, and 8? It pointed out rather beautifully that there was no room for them in the inn. And that part is easily enough to be noted. What about that word inn? Might you and I notice there were no holiday inns in that day and time. There were no motels or hotels as you and I would appreciate them. I wonder what that signifies. What is it that's being described and presented in that idea? There are other verses in the Bible where that same Greek word is translated differently than it is here. Here it's translated in, I-N-N. Other places it's translated guest chamber. In fact, that's the more common rendering in many ways. May I point out that there was no room for them in the guest chamber. I would suggest that that seemingly would point out the following. It may well be that Joseph and Mary had begun to be staying with relatives in the area of Bethlehem. No doubt Joseph still had family members living there, and perhaps Mary did too. It could well be that there was simply no room for them in the guest chamber of the house of their relatives. May well be what that signifies. And in so doing, we find, as that verse goes on to describe it, that when Jesus was born, He was wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. The text, as it brings that out to us, could I invite each of us to be impressed. Here was the King of all, born in such meager circumstances, born in such what appears to be poverty situations, and He was the King of the universe. He had made all of it. And He was born that humbly. Doesn't it highlight to us the place of humility and the desire to appreciate one's station? Our Lord was born this way. You might take note, He wasn't born to rich parents. He wasn't born to parents in which He could be, in fact, brought into the world at a great palace with all the finery that that particular world had to offer. The Son of God came into the world like this. Not only that, look at what's next on the slide. To say that the conditions of His birth were meager would maybe be an understatement. Verse number 7 says, She brought forth her firstborn son 
and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. I would invite you to think with me carefully about the perspective of Mary. She knew that baby was the Son of God, for she had never been with a man. Of all human beings on earth, she knew the miraculous character of his conception. Anybody else just had to accept her word for it. She knew that that baby was the Son of God. Can you imagine the consideration of trust placed upon her to watch with care over the birth of that baby? What am I going to do when he gets sick? What am I going to do if he falls and hurts himself? What am I going to do in other ways connected to what typical boys are going to do as they grow up? Mary knew that He was of God. No wonder the Bible on occasion points out that she pondered these things. She pondered these things. They rested no doubt often in her heart. The next point on that slide is this one. You may notice in verses 10 and following, something was said about others. It says, The angel said unto them, This is those shepherds mentioned in verse 8. There were shepherds, you see, abiding in the field, watching over their flock by night. These shepherds, you may well notice, as I've asked you to appreciate on the slide, these shepherds heard an amazing message. That message is this. Glory of the Lord shone round about them. I wonder how bright that light was. It was night. And yet there was some essence of God's glory that shone round about them, highlighting in them the uniqueness of this moment and the amazing characteristics of what had just transpired. You'll notice that those shepherds reacted like this. They were afraid. They were gripped in fear. And yet the angelic message to them was this. Verse number 10, Fear not. Don't be afraid. I bring you good tidings of great joy. But not only to you, it says it'll be to all people. As you and I close that slide, why don't we transition now to this and ask the following of us. We've just studied and reflected somewhat upon the greatest birth of all time. What's the meaning of it? How does it affect you and me on a daily basis? The God of heaven miraculously impacted matters by bringing into the world this baby. This baby was the Son of God. And as we've already learned, Joseph was told he's going to save people from sin. That's what he's going to do. He's going to make it possible for sins to be forgiven. His life, his teaching... And the other characteristics of even his death are going to surround the truth of a new message, a gospel, and people are going to have the opportunity and obedience to it to have their sins washed away. You and I live two millennia this side of this event, roughly, and yet we still can bask in the joy and in the blessing connected to it. On that slide, I've invited you to think of it this way. To those shepherds, it was said, this is a joyous moment. As we've already learned today, men and women for 4,000 years had looked forward to this event. But Mary had been selected. She was the one chosen. The time was right. 
the Son of God came into the world. And as far as the blessing which you and I have been able to enjoy by virtue of it, I've listed just a few of them on the slide. The birth of Christ the Savior. Did you notice another statement made to Joseph was, Emmanuel, meaning God with us. This little baby is God in the flesh. I'm sure Joseph too felt many of the same things Mary did. As in essence, the father in that family, he no doubt wished to take good care of Jesus to ensure that his growth and his birth were as they ought to have been. In Luke 24, verses 46 and 47, Luke's version of the Great Commission reads like this, Thus it is written, And thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in His name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Although His birth took place in Bethlehem, people of all places have been able to be those who could be blessed by virtue of what He brought about. The next two things on that slide are these. We notice that there was a heavenly host that appeared praising the events that just transpired, acclaiming that it was of God, and asserting the benefit and blessing and joy that would come to one and all. Today, do you get excited when you think about the birth of the Christ? What He has meant to your life? What you would be without Him? I hope each of us think about that quite often. I know that on the Lord's day we reflect on His death. For sure, we're commanded to do this. But may we never forget there were so many other aspects of His life and our birth, our study of today is just the first one. We're going to look at 12 of them as this year rolls onward. The first Sunday of each month, we will be revisiting time and again the amazing, remarkable, characteristic features of certain elements of His life. As you and I close that slide then, one other thing that was noted is peace on earth. Those angels also heralded a message of peace. Isn't that in many ways the name? He was to be called the Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9 verse 6. It is such that the Shiloh had now come. That prophecy of Genesis 49 10 was fulfilled. Jesus was the bringer of peace. If you and I want peace in our life, if you and I want peace with God, there is but one way to get it. There's but one way to have it. It's through the agency of this little baby who would grow up to share with us the message of obedience, the characteristic of the gospel, and help us in that way to know that He's the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, verse 6. As we draw this message today to its conclusion, one last thing was goodwill toward men is what was heralded and proclaimed. Jesus does bring a message of goodwill. Aren't we not told in John 3, 17 that Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but He came that one and all might be saved. Are you and I saved today? Why don't we conclude our lesson by asking that question, prompting us to begin this new year in a way of faithful service and in a way of directed obedience to the wonderful one whose birth we've just studied today. The birth of which we've just noted is truly the birth of the ages. 
you and I can note many providential happenings with respect to it, but all of it brought about the working of the fact that He was the Savior of the world. Aren't you so thankful? Think about the day you were baptized. Your sins were washed away. You were able to come forth from that watery grave, and those sins that you had committed were gone. You were clean. You were pure. You were white. If today there would be one or more in this assembly that might wish to enjoy the benefit of that same occurrence, as you obey the gospel, it's done the same very way it was done in the first century. Belief on the Lord, repent of your sins, confession of His name, and baptism in water for the remission of sins. If you've known that way of life, and maybe for a while you grasped to that and you thought that that birth of the Lord was a thoroughfare in terms of what happened to the greatness of what you would ever be. But maybe you've walked away from that. Maybe you've come to live in a way far different from it. You have come to clutch sins that Jesus condemned. Don't you know the Lord still loves you? There's still opportunity. If you will but repent of those sins and make confession of them, He's promised to forgive you. But that decision rests with you. If today we could be of some assistance, some help, it'd be our joy, our delight, and it'd be a great privilege. And what a way to begin 2023, to be drawn closer to the Lord and to be put back again in faithfulness to His will. If we could be of some assistance at this moment, Brother Kale has chosen this song of encouragement. Won't you come while together we stand and while we sing?